intro sounded a little bit better and more live today. Thank you, Paul, for straightening out that stuff. Here we go on a Tuesday. Interesting day. The 20th of August is our date of the show today towards the end of the month. And uh, last third coming around the corner, Roger Sales, Radio Ranch, People's Patriot Network. Shane's with us already this morning. And uh, kind of quiet. It's a little bit quiet. They call it, I think, the cliche, Shane, is the calm before the storm. Yes. I think that's where we're at. Um, So we'll see. There's a couple things I want to start off. don't really have a whole bunch to talk about specifically today. There's so much happening, and we got so many people that are well-versed in different aspects and keeping up these days and kind of some titillating things happening this larry pratt uh, appearance with brent on friday is pretty exciting and uh but i guess we'll start out there's a very interesting article right over on the zero hedge on the 11 reasons that a lot of the big money people are freaking out i figure we'll go over those and get the ball rolling anything on your mind this morning shane have you worked on your letter getting it in the mail no, no, I have not gotten the mail, and I uh, do not plan to until I have confirmation. Confirmation of what? Um, I, I may need like put in like a few other things, like um, more more evidence. Nah, there's no more evidence needed. You hit them with the important part right there in that letter. If I was you, I'd get it in the mail and quit dillying and dallying because I waited a little longer than I, you know, I, I noodled on it a little longer than I wanted to. So I'd get it in the mail. I'd get it in the mail right. pretty quick. It's it's pretty complete. They're not going to have, you don't need any more evidence in there. Okay. All so, right. Okay. Uh, that would be my suggestion. You, of course, can do what you want. It's, I mean, Shane, it's your $5,000 frivolous filing penalty. So you do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Well, Thanks. I mean, I'm trying to help you all I can, brother. You know? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, we could have left you. Excuse me, I got something in my throat there. Could have left you out on the line to dry, you know. Yeah. Thank you for your help. You're very welcome. I think that, you know, as, as my big deal in these things is to try and learn something. I mean, even, you know, you learn through your failures. You don't learn through your successes, generally, because when you do something and it works, you go, well, that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, you don't ever wonder about why or anything else, just that it works. And uh, it's when it doesn't work that you start questioning, you see. And uh, mm-hmm. that's why this was instrumental for me. I haven't written a letter to my pen pals over there at the individuals representing Satan for many years. And so it was a chance to, you know, re-exercise those muscles a little bit. And uh, now that we got the goods on these bastards, I mean totally. We got the goods on them cold, okay? There's no wiggle room. And that's what that letter that I pinned for you, I was in a, 
I was, I was exceptionally moved when I sat down and wrote that and very inspired. And uh, I can't wait to see. I wish I could be a fly on the room when they open the sucker and it starts getting passed up the line over there. Now, the one lesson that we can learn about that, and it's for any of you guys that want to step up to the bar. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you to do it. It's your own decision. Um, I, I think you can see by Shane's situation that should anybody get any kind of flack from these guys, we're right there to back you up. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, if you want to have the guts and, and uh, the total severance, because this is their teeth. IRS is their teeth, okay? And you're yanking out incisors, molars, and everything else in one fatal swoop, all right? And uh, But I think we can do it instead of waiting for them to react like we've done and figured out how to beat them the whole way is to preempt that. And I think that what, uh, what and maybe I should sit down, maybe I'll sit down and do a, work on it this week because it shouldn't be too much problem to go in and just pull a couple of those things out and write a generic cover letter. So when you sent it to them in January, if you'd had that covered, you wouldn't even have gotten that because it takes their legs out from under them from the start. And I think that's the approach that we need to take from here on out with anybody that wants to do that. And I'd encourage everybody to do it. And you know why, don't you, Shane? Um, from you, no. <laughs> well, no. the reason is because you're letting them know point blank that we know who they are. We know what they've done. We know how they've done it and we know how to negate it. So you're letting them know four very important things and, uh, and they should know, and in fact they already do know, that at some point down the road, somebody has got a ton of retaliation stored up for these bastards. I don't know whether it'll be us. I don't know whether it'll be the big guy. I, I don't know if he's gonna use us for that. It, it says in, in, in the, and I don't open up a Bible enough and I'd be the first one to tell you, okay? But when I have studied and dovetailed what we learn and think about and how we live here in with that study, and I go back to Revelation and it says very specifically, it says serve her cup double what she served you. Okay, I've got a Bible right over there. I could dig it out and read it verbatim out of the Farrar Fenton Bible that I carry with me. But that paraphrases it. And it not only says it once, it emphasizes, it basically says the same thing twice, right there in a row. Serve her double what she served you. Fill her cup double, I believe. is, And, and that's in two different sentences. So evidently, I don't. It, it doesn't sound like that's turning the other cheek, does it? I mean, am I am I am I interpreting something not wrong here? No. Okay. Well, the the first thing that you do to start serving her is you let her know you're wise to her wiles. You let this Babylonian whore know that we know exactly what she's done, and we know exactly how it was done. And we know exactly how to negate it. And the next step after that, that's how you start. That's how you give her the cup you're going to fill double. 
Here's the cup, bitch. Get ready to drink out of it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because of all the mayhem and the deaths and the blood and the, just go on down the litany of things that these people have pulled off and sit there in their smug little positions with their smug little attitudes. We're better than you are. Yeah? Well, not anymore, bitch. You're not better than us anymore. In fact, you're subservient to us now because we know you used fraud and we know what kind of creeps you are. And no amount of your whitewashed sepulchring can overcome what we know and can prove you've done. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's when you send them that affidavit, you're telling them all that on one piece of paper. And believe me, yes, they know twice. they know what comes next when multitudes become aware. They know very well. Less than five percent. Well, actually, less than three percent. Well, between three and five is what I've always heard, Shane. What Shane's referring to mm-hmm. is the amount of people that wanted to fight old King George and get away from all that garbage. And the majority of people, oh, no, oh, no, we we can't, no change, oh, please. And it just goes to illustrate, as historically it does in a number of other instances, that it's it's always a small group of dedicated people that affect change. There, that it never has a large group ever affected change till they've been stoked up to it by some small group that's instigating them in the background. I mean, look at uh, Spartacus. You remember Spartacus, don't you, Shane? Uh, a little bit, yes. Well, you know, Spartacus was the slave that rose up. He was and, and, and got all the other slaves, and he gave Rome quite a start over there for a while. Okay. And uh, but but let me tell you, we don't want to fight these fight these guys with with brawn. We want to fight them with brains. And how you fight them with brains is exactly what we're doing: is to figure out what they're doing, see where the fraud is inserted, because there's always fraud, because they can't accomplish it otherwise. See where the fraud's inserted, and then hold their feet to the fire on the fraud. And that's what that letter does, Shane. It takes their little there, and I would dare say that. That that response you got, the $5,000 frivolous filing penalty, is their last line of offensive defense. They don't have any other ones. And they, they'll they never take up guns against you unless you're a, a Palestinian or a Gazan. And living over there, all you got's a slingshot, and they got modern M16s and all kinds of modern weaponry, and they can pick you off at six, seven, eight hundred yards. You know? Uh, that's when they're de- when they're dangerous. When they've got the weaponry and the advantage, and notice they always put themselves in that position. Okay, that's the time they're dangerous. In our situation, in our country, said the numbers are absolutely overwhelming. If they tried that crap in our country, the Gaza crap, there'd be an uprising. Okay, 
and uh, mm-hmm. and and that's what what excites me so much as I think about it. And I've not talked to Brent, and I'm not trying to get my hopes up on this Friday thing with Larry, because quite frankly, over all these years, I've sent so many letters, emails with the book and the all this stuff to so many people, and I know they never even looked at it, you know. Uh, and and so. Uh, I'd get my hopes up and then you get it dashed. Expectations of other people is what it's called. So I try not to have them anymore. And, uh, but I am very excited because of the way it occurred and the fact that this is Brent's initiative. Uh, obviously him and Larry have a, have a relationship, a friendship of some sort. And, and Larry, Larry Pratt and that organization, Gun Owners of America, would be the perfect organization to take the next big step here. You know, I've been saying on the air for a long time that I've just turned this whole thing over to the big guy, okay? I, I quit a few years back. Man, I'm, my head got sore because I was beating it against the head, the wall so hard uh, simply because it feels so good when you stop and going through all these frustrations. And I said, listen, I've already accomplished my goal chain i accomplished my goal with this eight years ago nine almost now and that's to get this information into the public domain that in itself is a, is a heck of an accomplishment okay and so after you when you set goals if you learn about goals if you're smart enough to have used them uh, at some point in your life you realize that that's when you really usually accomplish things in life is when you set goals and so but once you've set goals or and you've achieved it then you reset the goal so my reset of the goal was well let's see if we can spread this information as far and wide as we can because it is in the public domain now okay and and yep. you keep trying and trying and you hit this secondary wall of people and i, I i'm not pointing fingers at people. I mean, when I send it to people like Gerald Salente or Bill Holter or uh, uh, Jim Sinclair or the guy over at SGT Reports or all the uh, other, Jim Willie, just on and on and on, when I send it to those people, I have to understand they're very accomplished folks. They're very already in very in-depth in their own area, and I understand that this is a big area study right here, okay, because I had to put everything in my life to one side to study it, basically, and those guys are in the heat of the battle in their own specialty, and I, I, you, I can understand why they don't take, they look at it, it sounds crazy, they discard it, it's over on the side, you know, so um, that realization and that frustration with me for a number of years, and as I've said on the program here often, I just turned it over to the big guy. I said, well, when, when we're ready to op- get doors opened, you're going to open them. And this may be him opening the door here. Okay, because it's not my initiative. It's somebody else's initiative. It's two pretty godly men, and it's one of them that's got a tremendous influence in an organization of people that I believe, I believe if we can get this started through that, uh, through that gun community, fervent gun community that we, a large percentage of those people will adhere to the message, be interested enough to learn more about it because the repercussions the repercussions of it for them are are real substantial. Okay, no more, no more gun regulations apply to you? I mean, that's a hell of an incentive right there if you're a gun advocate. Oh, you mean none of that stuff applies to me? No, we even got a way for you to get out of IRS if you want to. 
And my buddy Shane right here is a living example if you'll put the damn letter in the mail. Mm -hmm. Got it? Did you get that last part? If you'll put the damn letter in the mail, did you hear that? Yes, okay. yes, I okay. heard it, and it's... Um, okay, now Shane, now hold on, Shane. Uh, Shane, I want to see, we're going to see yeah. how good you are at following directions. Okay. okay. All right? All so, right. and I've told you two or three times what I want you to do. Here coming Mr. Chris coming in to join us. Uh, morning. Morning, Mr. Christopher. How you doing? Well, fair to partly close the cow, uh, chance of clearing eyes, as a matter of fact. You want to stumble through Hello, that Chris. again? Would you like to stumble through that again? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was uh, stumbling just a little bit there. <laughs> well, uh, you called in just when I was, uh, we're going to see how good Shane is at taking directions. Okay. So I gave Shane some specific uh, specific suggestions. I don't. I don't tell. Let me turn that blasted volume down here. Paul fixed my little deal this morning, and so we're running a little bit more like we're supposed to. Hey, Samuel, how you doing, man? Hi, Roger. Good morning. You sound pretty good today. I was just giving Shane some instructions here, proposed. If he, you, if you don't have to do it like this, but this is how I do it, Shane. Uh, and I told yep. you specifically, make a copy of that certificate of non-citizen nationality. You said you had a printer, okay? Go to the website yep. that's in the letter and take that and copy it. And hey, take a highlighter and highlight the first six words of that third first sentence and third paragraph. According to the INA, Immigration Naturalization Act, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. I want you to highlight it. It's quoted in the letter. It's attached to and incorporated by reference in the letter, so you want it with the package. Also go over, and I would suggest a color, if you've got access to a color copier, to take your passport, open it up there to the picture page, unfold it, and take a nice big color picture of your passport that's linked to your affidavit. Okay, mm -hmm. and then uh, take and snip that little top. It says it's got a little scissors there and a little dotted line, and they want you to snip that and either enclose it in a letter envelope with that opening or else you can just put it in a hand address it. Uh, and I'd write the reference on the outside. If you hand address the envelope, there's a reference number in there. It's also referenced under RE in the letter. I'd put that yeah, reference yeah. number on the outside too and give it a big mm -hmm. smooch and send it on off to Miss Davis. What's going on, Chris? What's going on, Samuel? Oh, I... Uh... Well, I, I'm attempting to operate my new Android that updated itself without my authorization and confused the whole thing, changed the whole operating premise, and that pisses me off because they act like it's their phone, not my phone, and they think they know better for what's me, and they ain't got a flipping clue. Well, they it is it probably is their phone somewhere in the fine print, and I did notice that you sounded a little bit better today. So you got a a new a new apparatus, do you? Uh, well, not a new apparatus, just a new reprogramming of the old apparatus. But I'm in a different location that might be more 
friendly to communication. Okay. Well, everybody sounded good. Samuel, you've been spotty at times on your fidelity, but you sound pretty good today. What's going on with you, my friend? Yeah, mine might be signal. I'm out in the middle of the boondocks, yeah. and uh, some, sometimes it just isn't a great signal. Right. right. But uh, I was... Uh, Listening to Diana Spingola this weekend, uh, um, unfortunately, she lost her daughter to breast cancer. And I, I, is that re- that's re- is that recent, Samuel? Because I knew she had some family members yeah. with problems. Yes, within the week, I believe it was. Um, she had a hard time holding herself together, but she uh, she had uh, uh, pearl off on again. And he's got a new book called The 13 Pieces of the Jigsaw Puzzle. And one of the things he got into, which actually isn't in the book, but, um, and I never have heard this before. I was quite taken back that I have never heard it before. But he says that uh, there's a lot of evidence, and he doesn't believe anymore, that Thomas Jefferson penned the Declaration of Independence. Did you ever hear that? That Thomas and Thomas Jefferson penned it, or he, did that he did not pen it? I have never heard that. No, and I, uh, uh, but wow. I can tell you that a lot of what is in the Declaration is from John Locke, and was just about taken well, straight away from John Locke's thinking and writings, who was a Scotsman. Well, what? What 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 Perloff is saying, and he's also uh, putting his research on top of some other men who have done this prior to this. It was a national secret up until Jefferson's deathbed that they didn't tell anybody who had actually penned it. And Jefferson sort of uh, reluctantly said that he did. But all the evidence points to Thomas Paine. Well, I, here's reason, what, uh, you see, here's where I differ with you right there. Thomas Paine was a deist. And, and the, uh, the Declaration specifically talks about God and the Creator and all those wonderful rights that we're endowed with from his uh, hand. So was, so was Jefferson. Jefferson well, uh, Jefferson was... I don't think I don't think Jefferson was a deist. He thought he wrote his own Bible and he he, he changed it a bit. And I'm not an expert on this, but but Paine was a deist. Well, let me tell you why Paine wasn't given credit for it. Um, uh, Franklin saw him in England. He was an Englishman, and he was sort of a flame-throwing pamphlet writer. And um, Adam saw the the talent in the man, right? So he gives him a letter of introduction, and he gets here to the the colonies uh, six months before Lexington, and he starts writing things that are like common sense and stuff that are igniting the fire behind the whole deal, and um, because he was an anti-Christian, because he was an Englishman, and because he had no uh, place in, in Congress... Nobody, I think, wanted to credit him for the draft. But when you look at the writing style and the usage of words, etc., it points right at him. And there was a, a draft given to Adam, which he sent to his wife, Abigail. And Abigail said, 
well, this is this this draft is a whole lot better than the one that we we picked, and that's in their old family record. Huh. So it's 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 real interesting to look into. I love history, and I thought I would bring it up for everybody there to take a look at and see what they think. But well, it's something. There's a lot of compelling. It's a, it's a, a thesis I don't believe I've ever heard floated before. Payne was very eloquent. Uh, there was a guy in Atlanta in our Patriot group that was a big Thomas Paine advocate. Um, but uh, it's going to be hard to overturn the conventional thought that T.J. pinned it. You know, there were changes in there that in the original draft, it said um, uh, w- w- it was property instead of happiness, pursuit of happiness. It was life, liberty, and property. And they went back and changed that to pursuit of happiness. And, and he was, he was a big anti-slaver too. And that was the first one they dropped because they wanted uh, all the colonies that did have slaves to be on on with it. So they dropped that. Uh, Jefferson had like some six hundred slaves up the end of his life, and he never came out strongly against the king or anybody like Payne did. I mean, Payne well, was a bomb throwing pamphlet writer, according yeah. to all his history. Well, he ended I, up over in the, in the French Revolution. Did you know that? No, I didn't. But I do recall a quote from Thomas Jefferson that I've used a few times on the air that addresses that. And he said, slavery is like holding a wolf by the ears. You can't afford to hold it, and you can't afford to let it go. Uh-huh. That's probably just the way he felt because they were making him a lot of money, I'm sure. Well, I mean, back in those days, the people that were landowners, they couldn't work. You know, they couldn't raise enough kids to put them out there to work the fields. And there was a strong property right. I mean, let's go back and look. Instead of blaming them, look at the ones that had the license from the king to be in the commerce of transporting and selling slaves. And that's our, our, our Edomite brethren who still think they've got that right, that they can come in and do it to us now in this backhanded way of fraud in putting you into a condition of unfreedom. Let's use Cook's phrase, put you in a condition of unfreedom. I mean, you're free, you feel free, you don't know these chains are on you, but yet you do know, don't you? You do know, because you get these little letters from these creeps like Shane did. And you get these little visits from all these little agents enforcing this public policy. There's the Matrix right there. There's the Matrix. Well, by by no means, don't get me wrong, and Kurloff said the same thing. He says, to do this investigation, you you sort of have to look at the seedy side of everything. And he says, uh, you know, I'm still a fan of Jefferson but it certainly does shed a new light on everything as well, that they considered this uh, damning information to let anybody know because they knew who Payne was, and they didn't really want the Americans to see that this is who kept the declaration. He ends up in, he ends up in uh, almost losing his head over in the French Revolution, um, but he ends up coming back to the States and dying here. Um, interesting character this guy was. Well, I would say this. It doesn't, you know, you probably will never get an answer on all that, but I will tell you this. Whoever wrote the Declaration 
it was divinely inspired. It, I think it's the greatest political document ever penned. I've said that before. My teacher, John Benson, thought the Constitution was. Okay. Uh, hey, Daryl, welcome, man. You got anything to add? What, well, your, what do you know about Mr. Payne? Hey, Daryl. Well, uh, hey, hey, Samuel, Chris, Sean, uh, I'm sorry, Shane, uh, everybody there. Well, uh, it was, it's interesting that Samuel brought this up. Uh, Thomas Paine, for my part, was my intellectual hero uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I, I pretty much have tried to uh, acquire and read most everything that he wrote. And uh, I actually had the uh, uh, strange occurrence when I was uh, out in Connecticut to uh, find his gravesite. <laughs> when I was wow. out there, and his uh, he he became persona non grata. Yep. Uh, he he escaped death um, by the slimmest of, of divine intervention. Could only be assumed uh, when he was in uh, when he was in Europe. He was captured and uh, put in the uh, put uh, tried and and. Put on the docket for execution, and uh, by some strange circumstances, uh, was uh, escaped. Uh, when he returned to America, <coughs> he uh, was met with uh, uh, persona non grata and uh, died destitute. And uh, when he was buried. Uh, it was basically a pauper's and uh, burial. What have they done? Uh, what's, his grave, his, what, what's his grave site yeah. look like now, Daryl? Uh, uh, pretty unremarkable. <laughs> uh, pretty, 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 pretty unremarkable. Very. Uh, it was kind of shabby, to tell you the truth. So um, he. Uh, he he was uh, like Mark Twain, uh, very much uh, not in agreement with the Christian uh, faith. And um, uh, as as Voltaire, Voltaire was not uh, uh, Voltaire. You know, th these were these were brilliant men, uh, all of the four mentioned. But uh, they there was a disconnect in their. Uh, they had knowledge. And they were brilliant, but they uh, they they didn't have any spirit in them. Uh, so uh, Thomas Paine, uh, brilliant orator, um, and uh, you know had been commissioned to write the pamphlets in the lead up to uh, the so-called Revolutionary War, and uh, was was pretty much a tool of the uh, anti-monarchists in uh, Washington and such. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Thomas Paine, uh, brilliant. Uh, if you haven't read Common Sense, I, I, can't, I can't even begin to express to people that are listening to this. If you haven't read his pamphlet called Common Sense, you are missing out. That's probably about his uh, most you famous... Are missing. That's yeah. about his most famous work, yeah. too, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely missing out. And uh, 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 to, to you know, uh, go back to what Samuel was saying, uh, I've actually heard uh, here about a month and a half ago, uh, Perloff, which I highly recommend uh, all of his books, by the way. 13 Pieces is amazing. And uh, uh, he, he brought this out, uh, what Samuel was mentioning, uh, about uh, Jefferson and the uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, I would also, as, as an avid reader of Thomas Paine, I would also uh, say that you know, on reflection on that, I, I could see Thomas Paine writing that. <laughs> I, uh, just because, of, as Samuel referred to, the writing style. Yeah. What Samuel was going to add something. We're gonna, say, say again, Samuel. Go ahead. Cutting up yeah, go ahead. A bit. Yeah. Perloff made some awesome statements uh, in his research. He said, Jefferson has something like three million words in print, and he never used the word half, which was the was the the older uh, usage for has. Jefferson used has. In common sense, I, I think it's used hundreds of times, and it's used in the, that first draft of the Declaration. So that just shows you writing style right there that it was probably Payne and not Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point um, that Perloff brings out. Uh, the, the other thing about uh, the Declaration of Independence, when if you have read Thomas Paine's other writings, you, you're left with the impression after reading Thomas Paine uh, you know, really immersing yourself in it, you find out that he does never, he almost never speaks in terms of equivocation or vagaries. No, he is brutal. <laughs> and uh, uh, there is no political correctness, uh, innuendo, nuance whatsoever. Uh, this might, this actually comes through in the Declaration of Independence, uh, in, in my opinion. So, um, his, style, his style was bullet points and capital letters, which was also stylized in the Declaration, and Jefferson never wrote that way. He never bullet pointed. He, he would equivocate yeah. on modesty. He, would, he, would, he never said anything bad about King George directly like Payne did. Yeah. Well, Thomas Paine, one of the quotes in Common Sense of Thomas Paine was, uh, in referring to nobility, was then to say that this was absolutely a misnomer of the term and the, the understanding of nobility. It was a, it was a typo. It, they were of no ability. <laughs> <laughs> and... And and he he hammers this over and over again. Uh, I know I've brought it out before, but absolutely one of my most uh, one of the quotes that he made in Common Sense uh, that drove just I don't know for some reason just stuck in my brain because seems like my brain is a sieve anymore. So peas go on, peas fall out. So, but he he made the quote that. 
the nature of man. So this, in common sense, he's talking about the nature of things. And uh, so he says, uh, here's the quote, he goes, uh, the nature of man is to be ambitious. Well, we see a lot of that. Rep- uh, vindictive. So ambitious, vindictive. Well, we see a lot of vindictive people. And rapacious in that, you know, they can never be satisfied. So he identified this, uh, assigned it to those class of knowability to be ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. Well, I love that word, rapacious. <laughs> kind of rolls uh, off, your, rolls off and, your tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like the word uh, in the Bible, Shiloh. Uh, that, that word has a interesting resonance to it. So rapacious does roll off the tongue. Uh, I, I really appreciate reading much of the older writing because of their grammar and choice of words and uh, elocution. Uh, it, it's sort of a class, like the lament of Gerald Lamente. We've lost a... There's no class. <laughs> okay. And, and some of these people were classy. And uh, you, you appreciate just how far we've slipped in our skills uh, when you read their, read their writings. Yep. So uh, there's a quote I read the other day was that uh, in, in reference uh, to, uh, I believe it was uh, a Russian. He said, America, uh, America... He was talking about, uh, this This was back in the eight, late 1800s, he says, America uh, went from brutality to decadence without ever passing through civilization. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, that, that could start a good conversation right there with that little... That little axiom there. So. Well, you know, I saw one of these JPEGs the other day. You know, there's a lot of these things float around where they take a little picture. And it's the kid sitting at the desk at school, and the little idea bubble comes up over him. And he goes, no government is going to teach you enough to overthrow them. <laughs> well, you know, listen, uh, let's expand on that. Uh, a war is when the government tells you who the enemy is. Yeah. And revolution is when the people tell the government that they're the enemy. That's when we find out who the real and, enemy, it's when we find out who the real enemy is. All right. Well, I mean I just I just have to just I just have to whip a dead horse here and and say that why would anybody uh Anybody, whether you're left, right, or upside down, or inverted, uh, go to war for these people about anything, because they're they're congenital uh, liars, and you know you, you don't trust them on anything else. Uh, but yet you'll you'll go to war. Well, why do they? Why does Bill Holter, Sean, at SGT, and all these people you were lamenting earlier? Why do they not receptive to this information? Well. I think I have a fairly simple uh, possibility. Uh, they're vested in being right. They are vested in being right. Well, I think they have in their mind. 
yeah. They have in their mind that this is the enemy, it fits with their information, and they can't, uh, they can't detract from that, they can't, they can't open their mind to any other possibility because it would, uh, well, one, it would take a lot of work, and the other one is uh, it wouldn't fit with what their paradigm is, okay? Uh, another reason is, is that they're vested in, in the economic system uh, and being right about that. Well, that's a powerful force. Yes, it is. Uh, let me deviate no. a little bit yeah, and so go the, back, and, yeah. and I, I'd just like to touch on Deanna Spingola, because Deanna is one hell of a fighter, and I've got the utmost respect for her. Uh, I I invited her to be over on this network when we were cranking everything up, and I think she was predisposed to come over with us and, but, and got hit with all this health stuff. Uh, Samuel, I didn't know it was her daughter, but I knew from our correspondence that she had some very serious family members and personal health challenges, too. So I'm very sorry that her daughter has passed away. She's a great gal and somebody that came into this arena from the the most unlikely person, from the most unlikely motivation honestly, to have accomplished everything she's accomplished. And I tip my hat to Deanna, and I'm real sorry for her loss. Chris, you were going to say something a minute ago? Well, I was just going to expound on Daryl's point, is that when someone is vested, that means they have a personal self-interest. I like to put interest with a dollar sign S on the end of it. That makes them highly conflicted. Therefore, they're not fair, neutral, or unbiased. They're actually promoting a self-serving agenda to get sway or leverage, leader rage, uh, over their group of people they're trying to convince that they really care about them. Well, I think these people do care about their audience. I think all of us care. And my feeling and the way I came to my conclusion, Daryl, is to project my own self and the way I look at stuff into things. People send me stuff all the time. Uh, You know, Tom Schramm sent me a video of some guy named David Strait. I know because it's my friend's name, David Strait, and it's this younger guy, and he's out somewhere out west, and, and he opens up by going, you're a corporation. Well, hell, I didn't listen any further than that. I'm not going to spend two and a half hours watching somebody that starts out like that. So uh, and that's how I evaluate things and, and just discard them if they don't fit in with what I already know. And I think those guys kind of take things similar. We know everybody that's involved in this is pretty busy, okay, especially the financial guys and everything at this pinnacle of, of that whole system building up. Who's trying to say something? Samuel, uh, does anybody know... Like when our 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 uh, educational system really got the twist, is it was it around Dewey's time that he was Hor- a big push behind teaching Hor- the schools? Horace Mann. Okay. Go back and study because study I, Horace Mann I, and his influence, and you'll see this was started back in the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Right, right around the yeah. turn of the century, this guy was born. I forget his name, but. He was from the backwaters of West Virginia, and the system didn't get to their community. 
he said that they were reading complete books in Latin in grade school, and he was an aspiring teacher and finally got himself to New York City. He figured it would be the mecca of education, and then he did become many times the teacher of the year in New York City, and he said he was appalled at the crap that they were being taught. Hey, Samuel, have you ever seen that test that's floating around the Internet that's the ninth grade test from the 1800s? Oh, yeah, I would fail. Hey, you'd fail. Hell, every virtually every college graduate couldn't pass that test. Well, they say Washington taught himself by the age of 13 to be a surveyor, self-taught, and became the surveyor for uh, Virginia. Right. The chief surveyor. And then I mean, he, that's amazing. And then he married. And then he 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 did he married real well too, Samuel. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, uh, that's a great question, uh, Samuel. The uh, the implementation took period over some period of time. If uh, uh, to do a really good uh, expose on it, I would highly recommend everybody, uh, while you can, go to uh, YouTube and type in Norman Dodd. Yes. Reese Committee Report. Reese Committee Report. Uh, it's an interview with G. Ever Griffin that was conducted in 1982. Well, uh... In about the first 40 minutes, you're going to get an education. And uh, it's uh, this shortly thereafter in 1982, uh, Norman Dodd died. And he, uh, he did a, a deep dive into the Carnegie uh, Foundation's um, uh, personal personal minutes start that started back in like 1904, and uh, it revealed it revealed uh, unbelievable information in there. And so the Carnegie the I say it's the Carnegie Institute and the Rockefeller Foundation uh, basically took over the education system. And uh, the Rockefellers were in, to be in charge and were in charge of the domestic education system. And the Carnegie Institute took over the international education system. So they, they worked it from two different, two different sides at the same coin. Uh, if, if I this really lays, lays out. Yeah. Samuel? If, if, yeah. I remember, if I remember right, Daryl, I think the secretary or... She was a lawyer, but he hired her to do the research, right, to go into the yeah. <laughs> Catherine Casey. Catherine Casey, yeah. Yeah. Well, Kat Catherine Casey did the research. She took two weeks, did the research, going through the minutes, the written minutes of the Carnegie Institute, uh, came back with the information on mimeograph tapes, uh, and uh, at that point going forward in her own personal life, uh, she was became dysfunctional and eventually, in Norman Dodd's own words, lost her mind over what she had uncovered. She could never come to terms with it and reconcile it and literally lost her mind. 
So uh, maybe that's maybe that's a bit of an inducement for people to go to YouTube and and watch Norman Dodd uh, interview with G. Ever Griffin. Yep, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Bob, Bob, our buddy in Florida, South Florida, down there's joined us. How you doing today, Bob? Well, he must have got pulled away for a minute because I know he joined us. Let me double check here. Oh, yep, he's there, so he got distracted. Sorry, um, I had to mute him. I had to mute him. Sorry about that. That's okay. I, I had waxed eloquent already, but now it's now it's lost. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, here's a good quote for everybody. Upton Sinclair, you've all heard this. Sure. But it's really nice. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. Yeah. Yeah, and also, and, and the if market. you're looking for some, if you're looking for some truth about public education, I'm not sure this is the fellow that uh, was being proposed, but John Taylor Gatto. Yes, yep, that's him. Yep. Okay, he is now deceased, but that man, he turned the apple cart over. He was, as you said, Samuel, several times Teacher of the Year in New York City or New York State. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. But he was exceptionally good teacher, and he finally just couldn't handle it anymore because doing good teaching was getting him in trouble. And he finally came out vocally and vehemently against public education. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe he and Cheryl... Uh, Israby they got did. together. They did. Uh, they did. the end of his life. Well, she was a yeah. very big fan but, of his. I know that because she talked about him a lot. Oh, he's a, he's a wealth. He gave some six-hour interview. I can't remember who the interviewer is. It's somebody we all know. I can't think who it was now. But toward the end of his life, he gave a long, in-depth interview, and it was more or less a compilation of many others. I mean, you could... You already knew where he stood, but it was just nice to see it all concisely put together in one interview or multiple one-hour interviews. But yeah, he's a, he was a treasure. He he knew what he was up to. He, you know, it wasn't a matter of teaching him; it was a matter of teaching him how to think. You know, it was it was the same deal we talk about every day. He didn't want them programmed; he wanted them to figure out how to figure it out on their own. You know, right. he would take them out into the city and be entrepreneurs, and you know. Uh, interact with the society, not just sit there getting their heads shoved full of garbage. And, uh, well, guess what? It got him put out of the system. But I'll mute out. That's okay. We sure appreciate your contribution in Mr. Gatto's name. I'd forgotten about him, and I know he's the guy that Samuel was talking about. It's a, you know, What I see is uh, uh, in, in people with this message is to the Mark Twain quote, of it's easier to fool a man than tell him he's been fooled. And sometimes when you're hitting people with this, you're just running up against selfish pride. Okay? That, uh, it, it's got to be part of it in some percentage. Don't know what percentage. But the basic thing, everybody that's on here and everybody that's adhered to this message, every one of you have an open mind. And every one of you, you might not at the time when you were exposed to it, but you've got a strong spirituality in your soul. And if that's the case and it had been marginalized like it had with me, what this information does is bring that back to the forefront because it connects everything. Yeah, Pearl, yeah. <clears throat> well, that 
he uh, he grew up an atheist and sort of a crazy uh, hippie type kid and changed it all around. Uh, um, and, and one of my other favorite quotes of Mark Twain, I think he's got the best quotes in the world at, at, at on a whole. Uh, he says, never pick a fight with a man who buys ink by the drum. Well, very, very accurate is all his stuff is. Tongue in cheek, too. Um. Well, you can, you know, I, I just wanted to add that you can always tell if, you, if you're self-aware and you have the presence of mind, you can always tell when you're being set up uh, politically or in almost any other situation as well when you are being led down the path where you would deny being able to change your mind. And uh, I reserve unequivocally and uncategorically retain the right to always change my mind based upon new information. And when you can't change your mind, you don't have an open mind because nobody's right about everything. And, and so what happens if you can't change your mind, you will start to defend things that shouldn't be defended. These are being used against you. I'll give you a quote from the aforementioned Thomas Jefferson. Well, here's what Jefferson had to say about this uh, as it applied to America. He goes, uh, in America here, we are not afraid to follow the truth wherever it may lead, nor to tolerate any error so long as reason is left free to combat it. Well, I, I think that hits it right on the head. Yep. So, well, my uh, reasoning is that I got real sick of being a serf and a slave, and back then I didn't know how it was being accomplished. But once I found out, I threw those shackles off just as damn quick as I could, and uh, that's the kind of people that, when this information reaches them, they're they're the ones that are firecrackers and go off. Not too many of you like that, because it takes a little contemplation. Daryl, I didn't even ever hear from you. You never even called into the program until you'd heard me, got the book, read it, internalized it, sorted through it, got it all straight in your mind. Then I heard from you. Well, I try to gather information before I open my pie hole. I try to. And... um, and I, I, I try to be open-minded, and I understand that I'm just a man, and that uh, sometimes I can be, uh, uh, you know, I can succumb to that. But I, I try to. Uh, I, I, I'm going to take action. Uh, this is a di- this is another difference between uh, different characters and peoples. Uh, I gather information in order to do something. I'm not acquiring information or working on something or uh, watch. I, that's why I'm not a spectator. I don't spectate anything. I don't watch anything uh, as a spectator. Uh, that's why, you know, uh, I mean, I, take it for what it's worth. I, I, I don't watch auto racing. I don't watch motorcycle racing. I don't engage myself in sports. But what I do is uh, I, I get engaged in building engines. I, I get engaged in uh, doing things 
instead of spectating, I do. And and this information and how you live your life is that way too. Are you just spectating or are you going to be a player? Are you going to get in the ring? Are you going to, uh, you know, use whatever metaphor you want. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't load up my 308 and go deer hunting just to go watch the deer. I'm going to shoot one. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for the target. Uh, it's not a, it's not a question of whether or not I'm going to do something or not. I'm looking for the target. Okay. Uh, you know, pick whatever metaphor you want, by the way, that was not an endorsement of any sort of overt violent acts on anybody's part about anything. Okay. It's just a metaphor. You'd, so you'd commit, uh, you'd commit, yeah. you'd commit bambicide. I do. <laughs> I, I do. It, they, they, it's really tasty as a roast when you make a, uh, an 11 bean soup. Okay. And you let him cook overnight. You let him cook overnight on, in the crock pot. It's really, yeah, it's really tasty. Yeah. I think, so. I think Bambi's female, so he probably committed some other kind of stuff. Okay, stag side. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm equal opportunity. I don't, I don't, I'm not real choosy. Because, see, I'm not interested in the rack, okay? So I, I'm not a trophy hunter, okay? That's another good example. That's a good example. Some people out here are running around, they're trophy hunters. Okay, I'm not a trophy hunter. You know... Uh, I was uh, I do it I do it for the meat. Remember, remember when so. I got to do those shows from Golden Stag Safari down there in in uh, 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 Santa Rosa, La Pampas. You were listening back yeah. then. Yeah. That well, the old Pete that's now dead. One of the most unique men I've ever met in my entire life, bar none. Okay. And he told me that they had the Russian mafia down there. He said, Roger, we had the Russian mafia down here. And he said, they, three guys came down and they brought three, probably, you know, Jerry Epstein wannabes with them. And he said they were here for three days and they shot $125,000 worth of animals. And they didn't eat any meat. They didn't take any skins or any trophies. They just went out there and killed. Just slaughter. So that... Isn't doesn't that doesn't that correlate well with uh, Thomas Paine's quote? They were very ambitious, very vindictive, and very rapacious. Well, who's another really good example of that? Okay, I just just as an example. Well, you couldn't pick a better example than uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. Uh, I read a quote. Uh, uh, the other day, it was that man was the only creature that, when fed, uh, when fed, desires uh, desires more. <laughs> okay, we'll go. This, we'll, this is we'll, this is. Will go stick their finger down the throats and throw up to come eat more, like they did in Rome. If I might chime in, Daryl uh, here. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you, you've used that word twice, rapacious, and at first I thought you said rapacious, and I was trying to figure out what you're talking about, but then I realized, and I, of course I had written down the word that I thought should have been used instead, rapacious, having the quality of raping someone, being a predator, being 
hyper-abusive, taking unfair, unconscionable advantage of someone is what rapacious is. And I think that's exactly yeah. accurate because that's what sycophants and psychopaths, psychopaths do, is they take unfair advantage of the least sophisticated, like children, babies, and old and infirm, and people who have any knowledge or lack sophistication to protect themselves. Um, somebody sent me one of those little JPEGs in an email the other day. You mentioned McClinton's a minute ago, Daryl. And it had Hillary with Paul McCartney. He had some kind of a medal on. And it said, it's now official. The Clintons have more hits than the Beatles. <laughs> so, anyway, just throw that in. That's well, very good. <laughs> it's it's only funny because it's true. That's right. right. That's I mean, right. <laughs> you, you, it, you know the oh the irony of it all, you know. Uh, so uh, I, I think this is this is this conversation today is. Uh, uh, I want to thank Samuel for uh, bringing it, pointing it in this direction. Uh, I think it's really important because uh, even though we're not talking a lot about law and empirical stuff, uh, it. The knowledge isn't really what keeps people from acting on it. It's inside of yeah. their their uh, their head and their heart and their spirit. And um, this is why I keep saying over and over again, I don't really care what people think. No. I want to know how they feel about what they think. Because how you feel about what you think will determine your actions. You know, Daryl, they're, I, they're not separate from each other. I got to a point where I said, I don't really want to hear what you think until I know what you know. Well, because most people yeah. say, what do you think? What you're asking them is, what are you programmed to regurgitate? They don't think. Well, I, I look at it, I sort of parse it a little bit from this point of view. If if I'm listening to somebody for the purpose of acquiring uh, more edumacation, um, I'll, I'll listen to what they think. Uh, if if I find that they are off in the weeds, um, I still might listen just to see, just, just for a point of argument. Uh, but if I'm working with somebody to try to help edumacate them, uh, I, I have to... I have to sort of slog through listening to them so I can understand where to insert the right tool to get to, to pry the to pry the mind open, <laughs> you know. And uh, so that that's where that one-on-one -on -one sort of comes in. You, you sort of have to suffer through some of that once in a while to uh, to be of any effect. Oh. And uh, so there's there's the student side of it, and then there's the educator side of it, you um. know. Let me ask you a question. You told us a couple of weeks ago about your buddy that stopped by. Was his name? It wasn't Vern, but it started with a V. Virgil. Virgil, that you sat down with for yeah. a couple hours and got he gave him a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. Have you heard back from him? Yeah, that was about a month and a half ago, and uh, I gave him an earful about a lot of stuff, and uh, it was kind of like two fire hoses at the same time. And uh, uh, and he bought the he bought a book he bought thirteen pieces actually uh, put it on his Kindle and read it and 
I, I also went into some depth about the the pedophilia aspect of this and the uh, and Murder Incorporated, which is the the Kazarian Sabatine Francis mob, and and this was well before the Jeffrey Epstein uh, situation came to light in people's consciousness, and. Uh, so the, the, at the end of the day, um, I haven't heard directly back from him, and uh, he, I, I can only imagine that he's kind of sitting there shaking his head now when the Epstein stuff came out because I, I gave him foreknowledge of what was coming about that. Before it was even talked about, I gave him foreknowledge, and, and now he's going, Wow. I, I can only imagine, but okay. Now, yeah. about four months ago, you were over in Atlanta and you sat down and talked to somebody you were doing motorcycle business with, and had a nice conversation with them. Have you heard back from them? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, the uh, I have, and uh, uh, <clears throat> actually, I have uh, some of my very best uh, people I work with are are. Uh, are black guys. Uh, I do a lot of work with uh, working with black guys on custom bikes and stuff, and uh, and they're most always always receptive to uh, the information. You remember when I had Jennifer uh, Daniels on, Doctor Jennifer Daniels on one time. She's yeah. a, she's a sharp yeah. cookie, okay? And for those of you who didn't hear that or not familiar with her, she's over she's doing her own thing of uh, using Facebook, got clients all over the world, but she's a sharp cookie, okay? From the ghetto, middle mid ghetto in Buffalo, got a scholarship to Harvard, went on to Wharton School of Business, got in practice, started doing the opposite of whatever the government prescribed for her patients, and her her death count in her practice went to zero. She started speaking up, you know, uh, the usual, and she's down in Panama now. But when we were talking that day and I was explaining this to her, we met through Pete, by the way, from uh, Golden Stag Safaris. And she said, you know, I've got a, young, a sister who's mentally retarded. And she said back when Brown versus Board of Education, she said they didn't, they raised, they didn't raise us up to the white level. They raised, lowered the white level down to us. That's coming from somebody who's mentally handicapped. They, they know it. Yeah. Instinctively, some of them. What was that? What was that comment you made uh, yesterday? Uh, what came after Brown of? Brown versus the Board of Education. You, well, you put a uh, well, you put you, two events together. As I was putting that whole thing together a couple of years ago, and it was coming to me, and I was sitting there going, 1954, 1954, 1954, bingo, the 1954 Internal Revenue Code. They put it in two okay, months yeah. after Brown versus Board of Education was announced. They couldn't wait more than 60 days. They'd been waiting almost 100 years to put that baby in that situation right there. That was the capstone for them. Yeah. There's an observation or two I could make here. Yeah, Chris. Well, when we look at the word term education, it might also reasonably incorporate educación. And when they suck out your brain and fill you up with other ideas, fantasies, far, Pharisees, farcicals, uh, it's a very dangerous subject when they program and indoctrinate under the guise of 
educate. Also, when you mentioned the Purple Gang earlier, or Murder Incorporated, I think Daryl mentioned, uh, that relates directly to the Purple Gang. And I remember very clearly, I think I talked about it on this radio several months, if not a year or so ago, when they had the so-called elections, which are really selections going on with Hitler already running, and she was at some gala affair, I think with Podesta, uh, the communist uh, secretary of state that replaced her, or maybe the secretary of defense, and I don't remember what his capacity was, but they appeared at some gala in a black and purple outfit, which uh, had significant dress motifs to incorporate particular curlers, and that promoted me to search out the purple and black gang on the internet. And I come up with pages and pages of these um, pharisaic Zionist gangsters, mafia, Meyer Lansky, um, the whole group of them up there. It, it just it boggled my mind, and I'm not naive in these things, but it was way more than I expected of these mugshots of all these people who had been arrested. And lo and behold, what a coincidence, they were all from the Zionist cults. Well, listen, Chris, I, I stuck, and I need to promote this again, Daryl, that video you sent me. I stuck it at the end of yesterday's show description over on CastBox. That's an hour of nothing but interconnectivity, and every one of them are one of these pieces of crap. Yeah. Uh, you might find this interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's a bit of trivia. But uh, we've all heard of the, uh, everybody listening to, I'm sure everybody's heard or even been exposed to the Nigerian King email fraud scam. Uh (laughs) Right? The Nigerian King email scam fraud. Okay, I'm I'm a Nigerian prince. Oh, it's the Nigerian prince. And I just need you to send me, you know, so many thousands of dollars and I'm going to send you some blah, blah, blah. You're going to get rich and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, a lot of a lot of gullible goy, you know, bid on that, and and guess who guess who was convicted of originating that and profiting from that scam? Well, not, let me guess. Well, let me none guess. Other. Then let me guess. It's not a Nigerian. Okay. It's not a Nigerian. Well, it, 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 I guess it just depends. <laughs> I guess it just depends how you spell Nigerian, uh, and. Uh, so the, the progenitor of this, uh, uh, fraud was none other than, uh, Chelsea Clinton's father-in-law, uh, uh, Kabbalist. He's a chef. Yeah. He, he started this and, and was convicted of it. And, uh, so, uh, well then. Then look at this other really prestigious guy now, Mr. Kushner. You know, his father did time on extortion and fraud for uh, trying to, uh, you know, railroad or uh, extort uh, behavior out of his uh, brother-in-law. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, of course, you know, it, you, you can't make some of this stuff up. You know, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on that, but I, I just thought it was pretty remarkable that, uh, you know, they, uh, the, you know the, they don't fall far from their nest, do they? It always, they, comes, they from, it always comes from the same bunch. Virtually always. Well, yeah. 
So if they're making your laws, or their proxy, their proxy, uh, their proxy frontmen are making their laws in uh, social, uh, financial, political uh, decisions. Uh, how much longer are you going to uh, yield to that? I mean, uh, I, I mean, these are just the facts. They're they're control. They're a control of the mechanisms, the machinery. Uh, they had their hands on the throttles and uh, controlling all the controls of the aircraft called the uh, United States. Uh, I mean, well, how much longer are you going to, you know, deny that you can't, you, uh, you know, they talk about civil disobedience. Well, how about individual responsibility? Oh, and yeah. once you know this information, once you know this information, uh, if if you don't act on it, uh, you become culpable. You got nobody to blame but yourself. And uh, education and knowledge without action is nothing. Daryl, last night I sent you. I got I got through about twenty minutes of it. I sent you a video on the Kabbalah. Did you watch any of that? I can only watch it in twenty minute sections because I get a I get a vomit taste in my mouth, okay. but. Um, uh, I, I've been through about 40 minutes of it now, yeah. and um, it's interesting. It's interesting because you hear them, you you hear who, who's ever produced this has put a very um, interesting um, face on the information. Spin. Made it, Spin. Yeah. Spin um, wheeze. Yeah. So what, where I stopped last night, watching it and it was in and this is folks the kabbalah that we're talking about this jewish mysticism and part of the kabbalah and the mysteries of the kabbalah is they are debating whether god kicked adam and eve out of the garden or whether adam and eve kicked god out of the garden yeah <laughs> well Listen, uh, you know, here's here's where my research has taken me is this, uh, un, in my mind, okay, an unrebuttable evidence that uh, England was taken over by Kabbalists uh, back in the 1600s completely, yep. just completely taken over. Yep. And, and, uh, all of this, all of this, um, Eng England is in England. hasn't been for a long time, okay? And Englishmen have been turned into British, and British is Zionist, okay? And uh, uh, this this is just a, a foregone fact. Uh, well, they, who's the superior in this world? How yeah. did they get yeah, in? How did they get in? They financed a guy named William of Orange who wanted to come in and have a revolution. And once William won, they were entrenched, and they ain't let go since. Can I add And they not only, they, yeah, they not only did it financially, but they... they uh, they, they not only did it financially, but they did it. They did it with Kabbalah and magic. Yep. Mysticism. Okay. They 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 use. Yeah. And and so, uh, 
the British are steeped at this point in time in their, and have been for, for several centuries now, are steeped in mysticism and the occult. Well, we need to we need and, to uh, we need to balance yeah. this off Paul tomorrow. He will he will be with us tomorrow. Chris, what were you going to say? You were chomping at the bit. Well, you know, I've delved rather deeply into the sounds of words and extrapolated other likely means and derivations of where these words come from. And we hear so-called Great Britain I, and British, I think it's more likely or uh, derived from the bar, ra, i, ta, ish, the baritish. And there are several different, uh, let's call them Pharisaic influences of their Yiddish inclinations to their lingua rage, their rage of the tongue they put in there with intentionally misspinning or misspelling, putting new spells on words so they can deceive the ignorant masses of we the sheeple out here, except for the few of us who have tried to remove ourselves from unbenighted ignorance. So so the term so the term British and Benai Barith kinda kinda resonate with each other, don't they? <laughs> well ish we know is man in their language. And the bar we know that's the Barcons the British Admiralty Registry or Agents or Archons Registry, as the case may be, of the self-deemed elite um, black-robed priest of Baal, uh, I think it's all interrelated in a vast scheme of deception, as they've been known to do, as uh, we recall Jakob Franks, the self-deemed most evil guy, his uh, offspring, Saul Alinsky, and his predecessor, uh, what was his name? Zabatai uh, Zevi. Zabatai Zevi, 1666, redemption through sin. Yeah. Uh, this deviant mind of set that they are possessed with has had a negative influence that has basically infected the whole world with cancer of deceit of the mind, yes. in a mystified condition of being completely dwelling in a false existence made up by these people who are the controllers and, in fact, owning the human domain, Jade Hill 15, I think it's just an extrapolation of this deviant mind of Seth. Well, let me just say it's got a name. It, it's had a name for a couple thousand years. It's called Mystery Babylon. It's Babylon, but it's a mystery, and nobody understands it except a few of us. Yeah, well... And it was magic. Well, what is, what and is, that's what, what they call their word yeah. crap, is magic. That's what they call it. Yeah. Well, what, what, did, what did Babylon represent? It, it represented the first city that was a one-world government. There's also, in the concordance, there's a definition for it, too, Daryl. And I wonder if you've ever heard it, and I think if you plug it in, it makes perfect sense. The definition of Babylon is confusion. Well, in Babylon, in Babylon, when, when the father threw them down, uh, what, was, what were they known for? Well, they could do anything. They all spoke one language, right? Well, uh, the British recreation of that was everything is going to be in English. Uh, uh, 
the the British Empire, uh, going back into uh, reading on their own writings back into the 1800s through the early 1900s and going forward, this part of the Rhodes uh, Roundtable was to uh, install an English-speaking uh, empire over the whole world, recreating Babylon as a new world order, one world. They were originally called the One Worlders, One World, and 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 this is this has been the uh, upfront objective of the the British Empire uh, uh, going forward. Uh, uh, nobody really ever wants to talk about their participation in America's uh, Civil War, and uh, it's it's even by historians and and people who are inclined to this information, it's it's pretty much. Uh, Glossed over, or they're not even aware of the the British involvement in the Civil War. So, uh, but their goal is is one world, uh, one world government, and uh, we have to wise up to it. And uh, a- until this until this boil is lanced and they are purged uh, out of our uh, uh, machinery, uh, you know, we're going to continue to suffer this and. Well, time's getting time's getting pretty time's getting pretty short. Well, you can't depend uh, on everybody so, else to pitch in, and the one thing you can do is do it for yourself, and that's what we try and encourage. Well, that's here. the only you've, yeah. You've got a choice. It's the, you're yeah. the only one that you can control. Okay. And you've got a choice. The education is right at your fingertips. If you're confused, the explanation is here right at your fingertips on a daily basis. And if you've gotten educated and haven't taken action, it's time to sit down and start having a talk with yourself. Well, there's, there's parallels here between uh, this world and, and the, uh, the relationship between uh, our Creator. Okay, so you have to individually choose to have this relationship with your creator and and act upon that. It's voluntary. Uh, you you have to choose. It's voluntary. And Just it's like everything called, else. It's called Yeah. It's called free will and self-determination. Well, uh, in the world, in the political world of man, uh this is historically been recognized under uh Vitel's law of nations. And the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and John Locke and the Magna Carta and so on and so forth. Okay, so uh, what what were they doing? They were asserting their free will for self-determination. Now, if if you're not going to use your free will and you've determined nothing, then it will be uh, provided for you. Well, you the know, the one, will provide the, one thing about, the one thing about the person that does want to understand this but doesn't is too scared to move forward is it does give you some sanity, okay? You'll have a little bit of sanity, but you won't be contributing to the other all, overall effort unless maybe you spread it to somebody that does. But, see, my dream, Daryl, back when this all came together for me was... I thought the information would rip out of the power hour like a tidal wave and the State Department would be getting hit with hundreds of those things a day. Well, obviously that hadn't happened. Okay. 
Now, if that were well, you would, you, if that yeah. were to happen, if that were to happen, believe me, those people would sit up and take notice. And it still may. Yeah. It still may. But the important thing I've come to realize well, yeah. is it's us individuals, and and we've got a strong yeah. group, and we've come out of her, and they recognize it. Okay, so we've made considerable headway just in that respect, and I think we've done what we're dictated to do, and uh, and, and I, it just uh, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And it makes you feel real empowered, the way God meant you to be. Yeah, well, I, I'm not. I'm not up here on on some soapbox saying you should do this and you should do that and blah blah blah. Uh, everybody will find their own their own path and their own time and their own in their own way when they've reconciled these things to their satisfaction or whatever their condition and situation is. You know, I don't. Uh, uh, I, I don't want anybody to. Uh, not that anybody does, by the way, but I, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't recommend anybody follow me. Uh, I'm not your leader. Uh, you are, and 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 where do you take your 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 philosophy and your principles from? Well, you can take them from man, or you can take them from your Creator. You know that's that's between you and you and Him, because ultimately that's that's what it'll be. So uh, I, I'm just here to uh, you know I guess maybe be uh, to use a, a phrase a watchman. And uh, it, it helps me stay on on the, the straight and narrow and the path. And uh, so uh, I, I just feel a duty. I have a duty to do that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I understand the duty yeah. aspect of this. My father used to have. In fact, I after he died, I took it and framed it. Still got it somewhere in my household goods up there. Had this little cartoon in his office, and it was a guy at his desk there and on the edge of the paper you could see four or five or six people running out of the area you know and the caption to it was there go my people I must rush after them for I am their leader right well I had I, I have a uh, I have an interesting quote here from uh, a woman her her name was Burl Markham. If anybody uh, cares to do any research on her, but she was a uh, she was a pilot back in the uh, the 20s, 30s. And uh, here's here's one of the I, I think it sort of fits to the, the the tone and tenor of this conversation. Here's her quote. She goes. Um, Harmony comes gradually to a pilot and his plane. The wing does not want so much to fly true as tug at the hands that guide it. The ship would rather hunt the wind than lay her nose to the horizon far ahead. She has a derelict quality in her character. She toys with freedom and hints at liberation, but yields her own desires gently. Well, uh, that's, that's very poetic. Yes, and uh, it's a it's a very um, uh, sort of compassionate way to relay this information is uh, be kind to yourself, be gentle. Uh, the world will beat you up, so don't do it to yourself. 
and uh, use this to uh, this information as a space and a time to uh, consider objectivity and thinking about these things and doing your own research. So, and and gently, it will it will yield to you. <laughs> Um, you know, our, uh, our friend, and you met this lady, Daryl, uh, at lunch up there, Debbie, uh, called me last night and had a chance to talk a little bit. And she was, she's been listening to the show at work and she said, how do I call in? How do I call in? Well, just in case any of you have stumbled into this, I don't give this information out enough. And we got a regular group that has got it in memory on their phone and they dial in. But if you wanted to call in and you had a question or comment or you're a big Thomas Paine fan or whatever, uh, it the number is 404-448-1420. 404 is the old original Atlanta area code, 448-1420. And we'd love to entertain your call if you got a serious question. If it's Gus changing phones, because I blocked him out last week again, Bob. If Gus changes phones, don't call. Go call Alex Jones, okay? Go screw up his program. Uh, but anyway, if anybody else has got a, a genuine question or a comment or something to add, we'd certainly welcome your call. And I know there's people out there listening that probably have never called in or scared. They're really scared to call. And don't be. We don't bite. At least very. We, at least let's say we wouldn't break the skin. So, Samuel, Chris, you got anything sitting back there on your mind you wanted to add? Bob, you're still out cutting hay somewhere. I got something to add on those noble men and how unnoble they are. There was a, <laughs> a, 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 a expedition, uh, some uh, earl or whatever from England, or actually I think he was English and he was he was running Ireland, so he was a jerk there too. But he comes over here, he gets hundreds of wagons. This is like when the West is opening up. And, I mean, he he goes out with, I think, a hundred wagons. All these men to put up in a tent and so he can kill everything he can get his hands on. I mean, he just shoots everything. Um, he's got guys with him like Cody and everything. He, I mean, this guy is spending a king's ransom to just go out and kill everything he can out there. And uh, finally he got his upcoming, and uh, the Indians jacked him up a little bit, and he barely got out of there with his life. But uh, uh, this guy was the jerk of jerk. I, I, I can't think of the name of the expedition, but it, it was there for, uh, I think, a whole year, killing everything he could get his hands on. Well, just shows you. Psychopaths have been around with us for a long time. They just didn't have them identified back then. Wow. I mean, this guy was just awful. Yeah, just the bottom of the barrel. Well, unfortunately, humanity produces some of those, and certain religions produce them prolifically. Yeah. Um, Wish I could suggest. The Did name of it. I mean, if you read, it's some interesting history. It's awful to read, but it it, it is some history that very very few people know about. I mean, this I, you know guy probably spent millions of dollars compared to what it would cost today. 
you know. Well, I mean, you can remember the bison hunters. They almost eradicated the bison herds that used to roam all over back where Daryl grew up. Yep. Unfortunate. Yeah, the dark side of man. Man's heart is evil. No man shall know it. I mean, you know, it's right there in the big book, and it still uh, resonates today, unfortunately. By some estimates, we got as many as 21 percentile of the population border on psychopathy these days. Now, that's a scary statistic for you. Yeah. And I want to tell you, I have personal yeah, well, experience here. Keep your guard up to never, ever let one of these bastards in your personal life or you'll regret it. Well, if 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 Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein had had his way, he was he was trying to breed a whole bunch more of yeah. the psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you could breed any. Program. I don't know how you could breed any more than the than the these Sabbatean Frankists breed now. For God's sakes, they just come out wacko. Did you see this uh, Lou, this representative that spoke up last week about dual loyalty? Did you hear? Have you seen any of the Fuhrer no, on I, that? No. Okay. Well, I they, didn't. I didn't see well, that. Well, when yeah. that when Trump came out and suggested that Israel not let Omar and that other one back in, one of them was going to see her grandmother in Palestine, and she had to go through Israel, uh, I think in Gaza, and so Trump comes out and says, "You, they hate Israel. You shouldn't let anybody in that hates your country." So Israel comes back and uses that as been as motivation and cuts them out. And this guy Lou gets up there, and because of the statement by the U.S. ambassador to Israel, and I can't remember his name, he says, "Hey, man, this guy should resign. He's got due loyalties. He shouldn't be stopping American citizens from going into the country." Okay. And boy, the furor and the backlash from the usual suspects is incredible. But they went back and 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 on. I was watching Adam Green on No More News on this this morning before the show, and he went back and pulled some old State Department writings out from the 40s that just nailed it. You know, on all this dual dual loyalty stuff. Um, it said that it's becoming more and more obvious. I think the Epstein fiasco has thrown a lot of light on this for a lot of average people well yeah the norm the, the the normies the normies normies have had their normalcy bias uh shaken up a little bit here um and uh this this book that you referred to me oh, uh, i wanted last to ask week, you uh, the want, thank you for bringing it up yeah, i wanted yeah. to ask you about that go ahead well, it's the the Empire of the City, and uh, written by uh, E.C. Knuth, and uh, he was out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the home of American socialism, and uh, he writes this in 1946, after having been through uh, World War One. He gets interested in what the heck is going on around here. And he writes this amazing book of about 100 pages. It's dense, and it's documented. Uh, a lot of, even with all the research that I've done, uh, I'm learning so much more uh, of the specifics and the names and the dates and the places. Well, this is written in 1946, 
he's he's talking about the city. This is the city of London. This is Britain. This is the influence that it's having on uh, the American society. Uh, this is when you go back to uh, Lindbergh, uh, Henry Ford. Uh, these were the people that were America, real, the real America first. Um, uh, James Forrestal in this period of time. Uh, these the enemy had been identified. The the uh, I'm only I'm only 15 pages into this book. And uh, it had my head spinning last night, so I went to sleep. And uh, but the the enemy had been identified. Uh, the en- the enemy of this of the American and the Constitution, if you will, and the Declaration of Independence and what people believe America is, was identified a long, long time ago. It was identified during your grandparents. Everybody that's listening to this, even if you're old, uh, your grandparents had access to this information. Sorta. Uh, the all the professors, all the uh, politicians, almost everybody, as far back as the twenties, who tried to raise the cry and identified these people exactly for who they were and what they were about, were uh, marginalized or even killed. And like Chris said, or somebody said earlier in the quote, never start a fight with somebody who buys ink by the oil drum. Well, uh, every, all the all the people that were promoting this information, the real the real information about who, what, where, why, how, and when, uh, were being marginalized, and all your newspapers. And then your your media going forward in the radio and television was owned uh, way back when by uh, the cabal. Yeah, that came out. In the so 20s. that's why your grandparents they yeah. they they cornered yeah. the radio that's, market back in the 30s with the FCC. Okay, and obviously since the TV networks grew out of the radio basis, they controlled them when they came on the scene too. Now, I wanted to ask yeah. you, that that was a book I read 25 years ago, and I've recommended it to people on the air when folks want to know things to read, and I'm, I was really pleased to see that come by and send it to you, and I'm glad you'd never been exposed to it. Is in that, because I know it was a digital copy that, you, that I sent you, in the first page, well, on the forward page, in the actual hard copy yeah. that I had at one point, there was a comment in there from the last Secretary of War that we had in the United States. His name, I believe, was Stanton. And after that, they changed yeah. it to Secretary of Defense. Was that quote on the first page in your version? Do you remember? Uh, well, Because uh, I haven't given you the quote yet. No, um, there was, uh, I actually, uh, I started reading it online, and I, I don't like to read online, yeah, as ridiculous as that is, so I bought, I, I bought the book, um, and um, 
so go ahead and give me the quote. Well, the, what I remember is on the, when you open the cover and there's one one quote. This is the only thing it says on the entire page, and it's quoting uh, Secretary of War Stanton. This was back when Truman was president. He said, "This is the only book that's on my desk." Yeah. No. Yeah. That's not in here. Uh, that must have been. See, this was this was. This was uh, revised and uh, added to, and that quote uh, was left off. Yeah. The, the, it, it begins, uh, uh, this book uh, begins with uh, a quote by Patrick Henry <laughs> that says, uh, so aptly, this is appropriate, it says, uh, I know no way of judging of the future but by the past. <laughs> yeah. And we, I think, I think we need to, you know, print that out and put it in front of us every day, as uh, they they keep running the uh, they keep running the same play, and uh, it, it's 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 a very powerful it's a very powerful uh, presentation here that's in this book now, that was written in 1946. Now I want to ask you uh, another question. What I, what I told you when I originally sent it to you was something we discussed those who read it back in the day. And I told Daryl, I said, read the last chapter first, then go back and read the book. And I think you did go to the last chapter first, didn't you? I did, yeah. Do you find I that did, that's yeah. good, a good suggestion for folks that want to dive into this, the empire of the city? Yeah, I... I... I would recommend it. You might you might want to post the uh, digital link on today's show. I'll uh, have to go back and hunt it up, but I can find it. You know, another yeah. one of those guys who got nudged out for being resonant with the uh, Americans in the 20s and 30s, he got 80,000 letters a day. It was Father Coughlin. You bet. And another, another preacher from Ohio is the guy who came up with trying to nudge him out, and they made laws so that he basically couldn't get on the radio anymore. Yeah, well, you know, the way that Henry Ford, Henry Ford started seeing odd manipulations in his stock, and that's how he got onto these guys and was motivated to write The International Jew. He couldn't get any newspapers to publish his articles because they already controlled the newspaper syndicate, so he started his own newspaper called the Dearborn Press and published them there. Yeah. And every Model T or A or whatever it was at that point that rolled off of the Ford assembly line had the full three-volume set of books in the front passenger seat. Yeah. Well, they... Trying to make a comment? They actually... Let Shane jump in there. He's tried twice. Yes, Shane? Yeah, the uh, the Empire of the City... Uh, the Jekyll Hyde Nature of the British Government by E.C. Knuth. Knuth. It's an excellent book. I'll tell you the effect that book had on me, Daryl, was that is when I really, the light bulb really came on and sparked my interest in geopolitics. Right. Well, you know, what's the, what's the famous quote, uh, I wish I could attribute it to the right man, but uh, the quote was uh, something along the lines of this, is that uh, 
uh, all the history that went on before you were uh, to be ignorant of all the history of the time period before you were born is to re- ever remain a child. Okay. And, and so we have a lot of children. We have a lot of children in this uh, country, this nation. Uh, they, they, uh, they try to get uh, results off of uh, incorrect information. And uh, this is a, a great strategy uh, the perfect one of the best examples of this uh, starts in the uh, late 1800s during McKinley, and uh, this is uh, uh, well actually just prior to McKinley's administration and Teddy Roosevelt was William Randolph Hearst in the Yellow Journalism. Uh, this is a perfect example of this. So this this British this British influence on uh, state policy. State Department executive and uh, military starts in the Spanish-American War, uh, and this is this is what they needed to accomplish in order to achieve the the power of the American people and the nation. They they needed to over uh, they needed to consolidate the United States under under their auspices, under their direction. This is what the Civil War accomplished for them. Right. Another thing that the Civil War accomplished for them. It gave a so, purpose. It gave everybody uh, a focus, just like sticking Uncle Sam and go, go be patriotic. All of that crap. When patriotism is nothing but leaving your limbs and blood on foreign shores for rich, damn Jew, Satan bankers. That's all it is. Here's a... Uh, that, that speak uh-huh. with a British accent. Yeah. Uh, hold on, Chris. A minute ago, somebody, we were talking about Clinton, and I think it was you, Chris, on whoever followed uh, Clinton as Secretary of State. I believe that was Lurch, wasn't it? Terry, yeah, yeah he was one, but then there was Podesta later on. And, uh, and I don't you know, think there are a whole string of these. I don't think they put Podesta in the Secretary of State. I don't believe he'd have gotten through the confirmation. He might have been Secretary of Defense. I oh, think. Oh, so he had him in one of those one of those stupid, you know, positions, the SES position. But what I was going to put forth on this one is when we talk about Uncle Sam, remember the true name is Uncle Sam I L. Sam Samuel Samuelstein. Yeah, well, yeah. Take a look at the photo. You look at that guy. It's uh, got the um, the hereditary proboscis that uh, is pretty well suited for those things. Well, you know, when I was coming of age back in the '60s, and the Vietnam War was going on, Bob is probably that generation. You aren't. You were behind that a little bit, Daryl. I think. But let me tell you. I didn't no. know much. I didn't know my butt from a hole in the ground back then, but I knew that wasn't right, and I knew I wasn't going. Yeah, well, I, I served I served in the Army in the, over the last two years of the Vietnam War, so I, I guess I'm old enough to have... Yeah, you did. To you, have, uh, you got in on it. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> realize, I didn't realize yeah. you'd done that, but... Uh, an unfortunate... Yeah. And that's, you know, back when they got this, the 1954 code in... It wasn't very long after that. You got rock and roll, and you got the Tavistock Institute and the British invasion. And by the way, last weekend, in case you didn't know it, last weekend was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. 
In the, fact, uh, the acid party? Yeah, the acid MK party. Ultra acid party? Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> gravy, 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 gravy and the Grateful Dead. I almost went. I, I had some friends from Baton Rouge that went and asked me to go, and I stayed in Baton Rouge, and that was the weekend they had Hurricane Camille. It was the 50th anniversary of Hurricane Camille that hit Biloxi and Gulfport so hard back then, too. But, uh, yeah. That was... That was an MK Ultra. That was an MK Ultra experiment by the the uh, CIA and the Grateful Dead. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure. The it was organized by. I'm sorry. It was or, no. Let Daryl finish. It was organized by. It was it was organized by uh, four Jews at a New York City who were under the age of 27. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, go ahead Chris you were going to well I recall whenever I mentioned Podesta and the State Department uh, oh excuse me the Department of Defense the Department of Defense was formerly the War Department right. and of course they changed the name because war is peace in their vernacular and so it's important to follow the chain of changes that always precipitate the deception of the people and give them the illusion they're going to defend us while they're really committing war against everybody else. You know, in my book, From Sovereign to Surf, there, I put a little thing in there I'd seen at the time I was writing it, an interview with a, uh, with a rabbi. And he says, specifically, he said, the minute we put defense in the Israeli defense forces, everybody freezes. The power of words, folks, the power of words. Yeah. Well, this is this is what James Forrestal was up against, and this is why he was the floor of Bethesda Naval Hospital. I, I would I would recommend to any politicians not check themselves into Bethesda. It's a it's a dangerous place. Speaking of politicians, Daryl, yeah. I saw a story this morning. I sent it to our mutual friend, Mr. Shane, because I quite frankly couldn't believe it. <laughs> When I saw it last night, Tommy Tuberville is running for Senate in Alabama. Really? Yes. Right. And his I platform is that all the illegals should have a job. They should what? Have a job. Oh. <laughs> uh, all the illegals should have a job. Well, I'll, that's interesting. I'll go dig up that link and send that's it to you because you may not know with your predilection that Tommy Tuberville was the coach of Auburn University for a number of years. Chris joined us. He dropped wow. off and came back, Chris. So Tommy Tuberville when you is running that, for senator. He <laughs> must have. Hell, I said, what, isn't the coaching job at Slippery Rock open? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it didn't interrupt the whole signal and disconnect everybody, to be honest with you, Roger. That seems to be one of their tactics. <laughs> I just struck me as funny that, that old Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Tuberville is running for Senate in Alabama. So uh, it ought to be an entertaining election, if for nothing else, because of that facet right there. He wasn't too beloved yeah. by very many of the folks from Tuscaloosa, if I remember correctly. 
So a little, little current events, just a little current events there. Uh, we got a couple of minutes before we yeah. wrap up. I did deal with Paul today a little bit this morning. We got to speak. That's why I got the computer straight, and we can play the music and even play video clips and stuff again. So, But he did say that he'll be with us tomorrow, so, of course, we'll look forward to Paul tomorrow. And for those of you who may have missed, um, we're going to have uh, – uh, a gentleman who founded a pretty, well, the no-nonsense gun lobby in Washington, Gun Owners of America. His name's Larry Pratt. He's a very, very fine gentleman, and he's going to be on with another fine gentleman, Brent, and, and somebody that has had a little checkered past, and that's me, on Friday. So uh, that should be a real good show for a number of reasons. And I can't help but think. Now, let me just use you guys as a sounding board here publicly. I can't help but think that Brent wants him exposed to our information or he wouldn't have asked if he could be on with him. Would you kind of come to that same conclusion, Daryl? Well, I, I would I would think that that would be a, as assumptions go, that's pretty reasonable considering that this is a pretty bare-fisted platform on this information. <laughs> So yeah. and and I and if Brent thinks he's going to get him on for two hours with me, and he's not going to get exposed to it, then Brent is slipping up a little bit. <laughs> Brent doesn't know me very well yet. Then, <laughs> but well, that would that would be in, that would be indicative of the first stages of Alzheimer's. Yes, it you know, would to be. Believe that that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. Well, let's just yeah. hope. And then if you got any of your gun friends and stuff that are oriented that way, please promote the show on Friday. Uh, I think that they will probably be pumping it through their organization that Larry's going to be on. And we may can expose a whole bunch of people Friday to this for the first time. Well, I'll... Uh... I'll call in if you think it'll help with uh, my well, experience. I'm, I'm going to just almost mandate that you call in with your experience just to show him the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what I have found is that when talking to gun people, I use the, uh, I use the form to introduce them to, to terms and words that they had never considered before. And when I'm not talking to gun people, I, I recommend, uh, I've done this uh, dozens of times and told people to go to the post office and get a passport application. It, not to fill it out, just go, go get a passport application uh, so that they can read in their own, in their own uh, living room, in their, their own time, uh, what I'm talking about. Well, and you know, now we've got this wonderful weapon straight from the State Department, this Certificate of Non-Citizen Nationality. That In all the time yeah, I've been you, doing this, that and the application for the passport are the two strongest pieces of government paper you can put in front of somebody to get their attention. Well, yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to generate anything. We just have to direct people to their own words and Correct. off their own. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, uh, that's, is, is that, does that make you a conspiracy theorist? That statement in this certificate of non-citizen nationality is the bluntest I have ever seen them put it, ever in anything I've ever seen. Yeah. 
So, again, yeah, Daryl said it. I'll echo it. Thanks for bringing that to my attention again. And, you know, it was a guy that had called in a couple of times, Larry, from up in the Midwest that I was reading that to that day. And I'm sitting there, and it comes right out of my mouth in front of my eyes. All U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. There it is right there, the duality of it all. So uh, we got some tremendous tools we haven't had in many years, guys, and it's pretty exciting. And I think we're, uh, let me get you piped down a little bit here, Mr. Whistler. I think we're about ready to turn the corner, maybe. And I'm, I'm optimistically uh, uh, encouraged, and we'll see how it goes and see if the big guy's going to open up some doors for us. We've waited a long time. We've been very patient and very loyal to to uh, what we're trying to accomplish here. So I want to thank everybody that joined us today. Had a good stimulating program. Covered a lot of very interesting ground. Uh, thank you, Samuel, for opening the door. And Chris and Daryl and Bob and Shane for adding what you added. Hope we all got something out of it. And I'll see you all tomorrow with Paul. Off to the Patriot lunch and confrontation with uh, my Secretary of State friend. So we'll see if we make any progress there today. You guys have a nice day, and we'll see you tomorrow with Paul, okay? Thank you, Roger. Salute. Ciao, ciao. Hasta la vista, baby. Viva la resistance. <laughs> Viva la resistance. Oh.